Emergency services are a lifeline for patients suffering immediate and urgent medical conditions, and in rural America, the local hospital emergency room can be the lifeline that ensures a patient makes it until they can get to a higher level of trauma care. So how do rural hospitals build robust emergency services and earn the trust of their communities? With effective problem-solving, easy patient access, and caring medical professionals. I'm Rachel Lott. And I'm J.J. Hodshire. And this is Rural Health Rising. Welcome to episode 111 of Rural Health Rising. I'm J.J. Hodshire, President and Chief Executive Officer of Hillsdale Hospital. And I'm Rachel Lott, Chief Communications Officer. So, Rachel, today our guest is someone who is dedicated to serving our community in their most critical time of need, often when they are most vulnerable as a patient. That's right. We are talking with someone who not only cares for patients here in our community, but also supports and leads the entire emergency medical team here at Hillsdale Hospital. Our guest today is a good friend of mine and one of the best uh, medical directors that we have had the privilege of working with here at Hillsdale Hospital, Dr. Lance Wells. And uh, we are so excited that you're with us today. So welcome to Rural Health Rising. Thank you for having me. I'm happy to be here today. So to start, Dr. Wells, tell us a little bit about yourself, your background, and your work here at Hillsdale Hospital. Okay. My background is in emergency medicine and internal medicine. I did a combined residency at Allegheny General Hospital in Pittsburgh, Pennsylvania. Um, I am a alumni of Wayne State Medical School, where I did my medical school training, and Michigan State for undergraduate work. I was born and raised in Detroit, where I saw a lot of different health disparities, Mm -hmm. and that's what drew me into medicine in the first place. Yeah, that is phenomenal. And we'll talk a little bit more about some of the experiences that you had along your way. But um, we we always start with a question. And the question is the why. All right. So we do this on every podcast. So that way we and our listeners get to know our presenter just a little bit better. And so I'm going to ask you the same question that we ask all of them. And I want to know what is your why? What motivates you? What gets you up out of the bed in the morning to do the things that you do to care for the people that you care for? What's your why? So my why can be summed up in a quote that's from uh, Teddy Roosevelt. Um, No one cares what you know until they know that you care. Mm. That is the foundational principle for my practice of medicine. Yeah. My why is to empower people to take better care of their health and to Mm -hmm. lead them to better health. That's Mm -hmm. my why. Mm -hmm. Um, I've seen a lot of different health disparities across race, religion, sex, Mm -hmm. uh, class. And I think physical health and mental health and just overall well-being is sorely needed in this world. It corrects a lot of our ills. Yeah. Well, you live your why every day, and I I want our listeners— uh, you know, who are listening may never, ever have any interaction with you whatsoever because this is a national podcast. Uh, but, you know, just to describe you, a person, uh, you know, I would say uh, great influence. Um, but, you know, you you have what's called the human touch, the ability Thank to you. relate to people at all walks of life. Doesn't matter about their payer mix, are they commercial, are they Medicaid, doesn't matter about their background. Uh, it, it's really just so encouraging to see a healthcare professional who just lets all those barriers be just absolutely lifted away and you start dealing with the patient. And I think a lot of that just is not only your clinical acumen, but, you know, your faith comes out, uh, your your connectiveness. So I, that, I see your why every day, okay? Thank, thank I just want you to know that. And sometimes we don't celebrate 
uh, the whys, and we don't celebrate enough of the positive things that we see. Uh, but you are certainly a light for us we, here. We in talked about that department. not we celebrating enough yeah, earlier. Yeah, mm-hmm. I, you know, I, I think it's easier for me because, to be honest, I don't think about any of that stuff. I don't think yeah. about their insurance or their yeah. race or their sex. I yeah. literally focus in on. What would I do for my mom? What would I do mm-hmm. for my son? Right. What would I do for my wife? What right. would I do for my cousin? Yeah. My my crazy uncle who you know yeah. gets on my nerves. <laughs> yeah. Who's you know tells out of hand jokes. tells horrible jokes. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> but I'm still gonna take care of yes. him. You know. So I right. I, don't, I treat individuals yeah. as individuals yeah. because that's the way that I would want right. to be treated. That's mm-hmm. right. That's great. Mm-hmm. I think that's powerful what you said about if they were your family member because I often tell our new employees in general orientation when I teach patient experience that. I think the best way to frame your mindset around the patient in front of you as if you were their family member, not if you were the patient themselves, because when it's you, it's you're, you tend to be a little more forgiving and a little more, oh, it's okay, it's not a big deal. Yeah, it's a little a more deferential. But I don't know about y'all, but when it comes to my family, that's when I'm like mama bear, protective, yeah. Yeah. Mm-hmm. you know, so if you think about being the family member, I think it puts you in an even better position Absolutely. to give... The patient, the right kind of attention and the best experience. So I like that you said that. I agree with that 100%. Mm -hmm. You know, I'm a father of four. Mm -hmm. I'm married. You know, I still, thank God, I still have my parents. I have a large family, brothers and sisters. So Very fortunate. So I am very fortunate. And you, people bring the... Family brings the best out of a person. Mm-hmm. You can also bring the worst out of a oh, person it sometimes. True. But <laughs> but you get the yeah. you get to enhance mm-hmm. your experience of people when you think about family. Right. And so right. when oh, you yeah. think about yourself in a certain position, I may handle something differently than I would if it were my son. Right. Or if it was my wife. Right. But when you think about the people you care about, you tend to put all the passion, all the energy, all the mm-hmm. effort behind you it. You might not always do that for yourself. Right. Which is one thing that people should start changing because mm-hmm. we see a lot of healthcare issues show up in the emergency department because people haven't taken enough time for themselves right. mm-hmm. to take mm-hmm. care of themselves. They're so busy taking care go, of their go, children, go, go, go. so busy worrying yeah. about the job, you know. Right. So they're always, like you said, go, 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 yeah. and they're not taking the time to take care of themselves. Yeah. Right. Well, let's talk about that. So tell us about your role as the ER medical director and what that really means because you also are working the floor as a physician <laughs> taking care of patients. So what does a day to day look like for you, and how do you balance those two things? Well, actually, I'm I'm getting I'm learning more and more how to balance those two. It mm-hmm. is it is quite difficult working the floor and being the director. I've actually had to cut back on the number of shifts that I take to be able to be a better administrator. Yeah. Mm-hmm. Um, yeah. So when I'm working as a doctor, it's more straightforward for me because mm-hmm. I, I've been doing this for a long time. I've been an ER doctor for a long time now. Graduated medical school in 2010, so I, I know what I'm doing when I'm on the floor. I still see things that throw me a curve, but I, mm-hmm. I know what to deal with. I know mm-hmm. how to interact with patients and people and staff. I can handle that. Mm-hmm. Now, when you're an administrator, I'm working with other doctors, yeah. trying to give them motivation yeah. and try to tell them how to properly navigate the system. Sometimes they're new doctors. Sometimes they're nurses, nursing directors, CEOs, uh, <laughs> other right. services. They're I'm the worst, with. right? <laughs> Just they kidding. can be the worst. <laughs> well, yeah, they, yeah. But they have a job to do. And, if <laughs> right. I, you know, and I'm not a CEO, so I don't understand the CEO's position, but I do understand leadership. And when you're the leader, you have to set the vision, articulate it to your team, mm-hmm. and give them the tools and help them accomplish yeah. the goal. Yeah. And so that's the same way I look at my team. I, I, I'm not interfering in anybody's medical practice, mm-hmm. but I need to make sure that the notes are getting done properly, that right. the care is being done, and that yeah. the image of our ER represents what we want it to represent. Yeah. 
It's a front door to the hospital. Absolutely. You know, Absolutely. And, uh, a nice window, too, if uh, they're receiving some ancillary services, you know, to the whole system as a whole. Um, so let's talk a little bit about uh, serving an emergency department in a rural community, in a rural health setting. You know, you had some choices. Uh, you, you've had a chance to be in, you know, the greater Detroit area, which has metro hospitals, a lot and, of hospitals. and hospitals that have, you know, milk and honey flowing <laughs> and they've got waterfalls <laughs> and, you know, yeah, and actually, coffee and coffee our, centers yes. and arboretums yes. and, and a grand piano in one of them that they yeah. play in wine bars. And yeah. then you get Hillsdale and our waterfall is literally the roof leaking. And so, you know, we've get, <laughs> in, we, our in our yard, right. So we have all of these things uh, in rural health that are not necessarily attractive, Dr. Wells. And so, so I guess my question for you specifically is what are, you know, you've had a chance to be in the rural hospital and the metro. What are the challenges in rural America in delivering ER medicine, number one? And um, I'll follow that up with, and how do you overcome that? So what, what are those? So some of the challenges are very similar to these other larger, more eloquent hospital systems. We all, in emergency medicine, the problems are very typical, um, boarding, transportation, getting the proper resources to the patients on a timely basis. The difference between working in rural healthcare and like an urban setting where there's a lot more resources available is that uh, it's just that it's the resources. The resources are scarce mm-hmm. um, and it's a lot of area with a smaller population, but the patients are still sick. Mm-hmm. People still show up at the front door with things that you don't normally see. And yeah. I don't have... 10,000 specialists behind me at the door to help me right now. And the few specialists that we do have, because we're a very special hospital in Hillsdale Hospital here, we have a lot of specialists compared to a lot of, very fortunate compared to a lot of different rural areas, but they're busy. They're taking care of the thing. So sometimes in a rural setting, you feel isolated as Mm -hmm. an ER provider Mm -hmm. because Mm -hmm. it's just you and the patient. Um, So that's not always the case in those Mm -hmm. bigger systems because I could have an army of different specialists come in and support me where it's me. I might be on the phone with my specialist, but it's kind of me and the patient. Yeah. So it allows you an opportunity, though, to build relationships, right? How many uh, patients have you uh, retrieved a blanket for? Uh, a how, lot. Many, how many patients <laughs> have you physically transported over to X ray? Uh, a lot. Yeah. And, right. and, 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 and in big systems, you know, they have runners and they have, you know, techs and they have these folks. Patient transport is an entire department, it and is. that's an internal department yeah, of moving people yeah, within absolutely. the building. Yeah. So, so, I mean, there there are those logistical challenges. But, you know, when you look at the care, just to say that I I go to a rural hospital doesn't lessen the type of care it does I get, not, right? Not at all. But talk to us a little bit about that because there is a misnomer out there. Bigger there is. is better. You know, we go to we go to the X hospital because they have mm-hmm. you know this and that, and they have a coffee bar right. in the front. Or and, with emergency care, there's a perception that it's better to bypass the small hospital and just drive further you're going to the there big anyway. One. <sighs> That's and often that can a misnomer. be scary. That can be life threatening. That is life threatening, and I deal with that misperception a yeah. lot. Well, talk to us about that because you know we often hear, well, we're going to end up going there anyway because those small hospitals are band-aid stations it's not the case in a lot of our rural hospitals they even have higher quality lower cost more attention because of the ratio of patients to staff mm-hmm. but talk to us a little bit about that that well, common thought. well I'll, I'll link it to the two questions that you asked asked me um so what's different about rural health care is that a lot of my nurses here and some of my doctors live here 
So mm-hmm. they know the families that are coming in. They mm-hmm. care about the families. That's their neighbors, their best friends. They grew up in high school with them. Um, they, they they know their children. They know their grandchildren. So it's a different level of care and service when you're taking yeah. care of a family member like we just talked about. Um, and you don't always get that with the bigger systems. Yeah. You're a number. You're a patient. Now, you have some very good doctors out there who have very good bedside manner sure. who who make you feel like it's an experience and take good care of you. But it's different than when I'm coming in. I know you since high school. I know you're going to take good care of me. Yeah. Mm-hmm. And uh, the transport to the larger system, A, you lose that family touch, that caring yeah. touch that we, that we supply here at Hillsdale. But the other piece of it is that sometimes you need to go to a quote-unquote Band-Aid station Mm -hmm. because you're not going to make it all the way to the big place and they're not going to recognize the severity of your illness. You need a stabilization station. You need to come to the ER to be stabilized. That's a big part of what we do and uh, I've dealt with this with other healthcare providers as well. The ER gets discounted because it's kind of like it's the place where everybody sends all their complaints because we just can take it. That's kind of how we do. We're a variable acuity unit. We take care of delivering babies, broken sure bones, heart attacks. So we see everything. And grown toenails. And grown Honestly, toenails. It's, yeah. it's everything. Yeah. But but the misconception. Hey, those can hurt. They, they're really bad, though. <laughs> I've had them. Because oh, yeah. if you can't walk Ouch. around, yeah. you know, it's yeah. a, it's a yeah, huge problem. deal. Yeah. It's a huge deal. But the misconception is that because you need to go to this, quote unquote, again, a definitive care or some, a larger system anyway, why not bypass? Because that time frame, those stabilization moments mm-hmm. are important. Mm-hmm. And mm-hmm. most people, if you're not a emergency physician, you can't recognize the nuances of those moments. So mm-hmm. I have a lot of conversations with EMS workers. I have a lot of conversation with the general public. I have a lot of conversation with our internal medicine specialists because I do both. There's a difference between emergency care and, and, and the other services that are provided. Absolutely. How are things going in the ER here in Hillsdale? You've how long have you been here now? I want to say it's over a year, so right? So it's it's I mean I'm, 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 I'm in it feels like it. I've been in my second year. Is it only the, two? It's only two. No, it's not wow. two yet. It's I. You're in your second I'm year. In my second year, I, uh, April first, two thousand twenty-two. I took over as the medical director. Okay. Um. So we're a year and what mm-hmm. four months now? Mm-hmm. A year and wow. three months or something like wow. that. Um. I've been the the director of the EMS service, the MCA, since. October yeah. uh, mm-hmm. before that. So a little bit longer for the EMS services. Yeah. Um, and An important role, though, medical control authority. Absolutely. Mm-hmm. A very, and, very and that important is the role. responsibility of all hospitals. So if there's a community, each county has one. But if you have more than one hospital, typically they share in they that share, with the board. Yeah. But we're the only hospital yeah. in Hillsdale. Mm-hmm. So yeah. it is us, and which means it's all you. Uh, yeah. And <laughs> right. that's, a, that's a grave responsibility. Rachel, right. do you mind if I ask a, yeah, please do. a question before you I want you, you to go do. down this but road I, here. I want to talk a little bit about EMS. Can we do that? You know, one of the things that we are challenged with is getting patients out. The number of complaints that I get really tops all of the complaints that I get when it comes to transport and getting patients out of the emergency department. We know there are times when a patient has to go somewhere else. You know, we are taking them to a level one or a level two, or it may be a psychiatric transport. It may be a pediatric. We don't have a pediatric wing here. There are times, many times, when patients, we don't have uh, the level of care that the patient needs, nor are we going to try to fool ourselves and keep that patient here. But this is a national issue. Absolutely. Uh, Ambulance transport uh, and the lack thereof is a major issue. How is it impacting us in the ER? 
So this is one of those things that we go to the rural area is being impacted the most. And it's a staffing, it's a personnel issue. Um, we don't have enough EMS people in general, period, across the country. Yeah. Right. Michigan is especially hit hard because we just don't have enough paramedics, enough EMTs. Right. And then you break it down even further to a rural area, we have even less. There are a lot of different incentives and grants are up mm-hmm. there, but just the, the right. honest, if you don't live here and your interest is not EMS, yeah. you, you don't have that much of a service. You don't have enough personnel. So yeah. that's where we struggle here at Hillsdale is where our transports are difficult to get through because we just don't have enough EMS workers to mm-hmm. move the people mm-hmm. back and forth. And it's, and it's a strain on the EMS yeah. system because yeah. the I, I deal with a lot of complaints as well from that standpoint from yeah. both the providers who are trying to transport and the patients who are being transported. Like, well, why do we have to go? And why can't we go now? Why are we sitting in the ER for this many oh, hours? Sure. And it's like, you And know, they often look at us yeah. because they're like, you're not getting us out of here. They blame us. They do. They blame and, us. And uh, I hear that in the community. Yeah. I had to wait in your hospital yeah. for 18 yeah. hours. Well, it wasn't because I wanted you here. I Absolutely. wanted you to be taken care of at that other place, yeah. but we just did not have the, just did the, not have the mechanism capability. to get you there. That's a difference between the, the urban environment is a, you have a lot more personnel and yeah. ambulance services and the, then the transport distance is much shorter. Right. right. So distance is also coming into play here. Because so the ones you do have are not spread as thin. They're not spread as thin. They're not far away. So yeah. I can stop an ambulance service. Hey, you just brought this patient in. Can you take right. this one down the road? And they're like, sure. Yeah. The EMS people are just as frustrated. They want to provide transport. Right. They really do. Well, that's but, they make revenue yeah. from transport. Right. Absolutely. You know? right. So, Absolutely. And that's what they do. They want yeah. to be with patients. They don't want to be sitting somewhere waiting right. on calls. Yeah. 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 They well, want to be running them. And then the last piece of that is uh, the complaints about waiting in the ER or what we call boarding mm-hmm. is what we call it in the industry. Um, patients who are destined to go to another hospital mm-hmm. but have waiting or they're waiting in your emergency department. You're not just waiting. You know, most of the time you're you're we got you on the monitor. We're providing whatever treatment that we can provide right now. You're you're still getting care, mm-hmm. right. but people perceive the fact that they're not at the place where we said they're going to go as that just waiting. You're yeah. not just waiting. We're right. still taking care of you. Nurses are still checking in. We're still you know talking to the family, updating you every few minutes about yeah. what's going on, or giving you you know the, taking care of the needs that we can take care of. Yeah. You know, well, post-pandemic, you know, we're trying to recover now, right? We're in this phase of rebuild and... uh, Redefine. Redefine who Mm -hmm. we are because the face of healthcare changed during COVID. The way people received their care changed during COVID. Uh, And I think there's just been a lot of focus on what's next. And that that is a big issue, you know. So let's talk about on a micro scale. Uh, what's next for Hillsdale hospitals, you know, ER providers in place, those type of things. And then I want you to talk about a macro scale, the industry, you know, how do we handle, you know, what what happens with the ER now post-pandemic in, in this shift that we've witnessed? Big question. Um, so first, I guess, talk a little bit about Hillsdale Hospital. So Hillsdale Hospital has been awesome for me. So I'd like to thank you and all your leadership and everything of that nature. Um, I think for the ER, the future holds a much more enhanced patient experience. That's Mm -hmm. that's where I I would like to go next. Uh, One of the things that I do well as a clinician is that um, I think I make my patients feel uh, cared for. Mm -hmm. Um, I'm I'm a very good and and proficient clinician. Um, 
but I think my touch is that bedside matter. Yeah, I hear and that. I think that I would like to impart that to the rest of my providers yeah. and my have staff. them duplicate your Abs- strategy. Absolutely, yeah. And, yeah. and we've and we've already implemented some different programs, yeah. our, our patient experience program, and just different conversations with new docs coming in about what to expect because rural areas are a little bit different. They are. There's a little bit more homey because you know I, I, most of the patients I care for have your cell phone number on oh, a they first do. name basis, they do. or they you know yeah. my nurses are like this is my cousin this is oh, my, yeah. you know my best friend I went to high school oh, with yeah. so you know in bigger centers I've had I've had the pleasure and to be like the go-to doctor yeah. um, where the nurse is like well my kid is sick can you take care of them right and that, I don't take that lightly um, I don't mm-hmm. believe in VIPs because I treat all my patients no, right, the same. right right but I, you know when when a nurse says I will you take care of them that's a special thing it is right so everybody that comes in, in yeah. right so everybody yeah. that comes in is family because it's that uh, local yeah. you know we're all connected yeah. unit so so you know so the face of medicine you know is changing it's and changing it's, a lot it's evolving covid has brought yeah. a whole new you know model of healthcare uh, delivery and so you know as as globally looking at it from the macro perspective um health healthcare should not be your entry point for healthcare should not be the er right I it mean, should you, not you should need it you should need a primary not. care i think what and correct me if i'm wrong but i think what the pandemic uh, taught us was that you know people can live without the ER, and that's good and bad, right? It is. It's absolutely. good in the sense of if you don't use it as your primary care, but it's bad if you're not getting treatment. So, talk to us about how we can get out of this on a on a global scale. So, the macro scale of healthcare, um, I think we're changing to something new. Absolutely, um, but I'm not sure that we know what that looks like mm-hmm. right now post COVID. COVID. Un- unnerved and unearthed a lot of different issues that we're still dealing with now and what I'm seeing and I know you see it now because you yeah. see read the same stuff I read and yeah. hospitals are closing it's unearthed now we're dealing with the ramifications and the dominoes falling from all the adjustments we had to make oh, yeah. during the pandemic right. and now we're seeing a second kind of inside healthcare pandemic from all the reactions that we mm-hmm. had to do mm-hmm. I think the ER at some point is going to stabilize to still be in the safety net the ER is never really going to go anywhere no. mm-hmm. Pe- even when people weren't coming the volumes were much lower people weren't coming to the ERs people knew they could go to the ER they did right. the thought they process knew it was there. they knew it was there yeah. like I don't want the security they weren't going because they were afraid to get right. sicker or for whatever right. reason. Right. But the ER as a safety net is, I don't think that's going away from our system at mm-hmm. all, mm-hmm. but I think it will end up being redesigned because I'm not sure if we're going back to the way we used to do things. I agree. I don't think we're ever going back to the, I don't the either. way. I don't, either. I don't know what the new way looks like yet. Mm-hmm. I've been, I've no been studying does. the field and kind yeah. of seeing where the trends are. I know financially yeah. right now there's a lot of dominoes falling. Oh, there We've is. got to find a different way. It has to be a payer um, mix uh, it, discussion. It, Rachel think, and I have talked about yeah. that. Insurance this has is not to be about, involved in this conversation. No, no, they right. absolutely they have, to have to be. Right, right. They, they there are a lot of... Um, tangential issues that we talk about when we talk about yes. why is, does rural health struggle? Yeah. Why does EMS struggle? Right? Yeah. Well, part of the problem is EMS workers don't get paid the kind of not. wage that you you would expect for the type of work for that they do. And yeah. until you fix that root cause issue, training is less of the problem. Absolutely. Because if you can't get people who want to get trained because it's not financially viable for them or yeah. their family, mm-hmm. 
it doesn't matter how much training and you have. EMS you can have all the training in the world available. Absolutely. I agree with you 100%. 100%. Right too. Uh, and EMS is often a stepping stone. It's not usually right. a, no, a final right. destination career choice. Right. So you have to get people in and get That's through. Right. And I'll tell you another thing that really disturbed me. I didn't find this out till during COVID that EMS workers are not considered an essential service. Isn't that amazing? That what? It's unbelievable. No, yeah, you know, during that time, you have yeah. to have essential services. Yeah. That thing. EMS is not considered an essential service yeah. like police and different things. Yeah. It's just not. And it's just and that's, wow. So that's a discussion to have with our our legislature right. and our lawmakers right. because yep. you can't you can't pay somebody if you don't value what they Absolutely. do. Right, and, right. You know, yep. So that's yep. that's a huge thing. I yep. like the way you said that because that really is that all the different issues we can talk about when it comes to rural health and mm-hmm. those challenges, workforce, you know, EMS shortages, um, you know, resources, mm-hmm. all of that. The root of the issue is still the reimbursement. What are we being Absolutely. paid compared to what it costs us yep. to provide the care, Absolutely. period, full stop. Yep. If that issue is not taken care of, like everything <laughs> else is going to be like the critical access program that's been around since the 90s and hasn't kept – it's maybe kept some hospitals open. That is correct. But it but has not stopped the bleed right. of rural hospitals right. that have closed because it's – it's it, it almost feels Preach like it. a distraction from the real issue. Absolutely. And I think a lot of this, quite frankly, is a distraction. It is. From the real issue. That's a, that's where we were actually saying Band-Aid stations. The ERs are not the Band-Aid stations. No. It's those little patches that we're putting right. over the financial yes. bleeding, financial hemorrhaging right. that we haven't really addressed. Right. We're trying to know. plug holes in the boat and we're yeah. out of fingers and toes. Yeah. yeah. You know? Yeah. And, we the water, need to and the just, water's still coming in. The water's yep. pouring. Yep. But the public doesn't know they the boat has got water coming in. No, they, right. don't, they don't and, know the struggles And they see an itemized bill, and it's like, wow, they charged me $1,200 for half of a Tylenol, you right. know? Right. Yeah. That's I like the, the thing home, here. I can yeah. take one at home right. for a right. dollar. Right. Oh, no, right. we hear it all the time. But we don't get paid. You know, when you get your itemized Absolutely. bill and your EOB, the fact of the matter is, with contractual allowances and the way the insurance pays us, it's a fraction of those charges is what we get reimbursed for. Absolutely. And then with the new No Surprises Act, now, you know, I think, you know, the NSA. Individual clinicians, the clinicians have a bill as well. Yeah, so it's a, there an is. additional bill for the services of yeah. the facility, right. uh, the hospital, and my That's ER. Right. And it is my bill my for bill. me actually seeing you. Correct. And then patients are like, why, you know, y'all why is a- money handle over fist. I'm like, no, no it's we're not. not. You know, it's, it's, right. and it's difficult to explain because it's complicated. It is. And mm-hmm. that's, a, like you said, mm-hmm. that's a discussion for lawmakers, for insurance companies, for right. healthcare advocates, for the public. Much broader be, discussion. Yeah, much broader right. discussion. And debate. And but if it doesn't change, Doctor Wells, here's the here's the problem: we already have lost numerous hospitals, yeah. well over a hundred and fifty yeah. now, close to. I think it's. I think the latest count I saw was from 2010 to 2021 was 140. So over 140. Yes, more than 140. That's the most uh, recent count I've seen. And predicted though that 600, over 600, are vulnerable to mm-hmm. closing are at risk, and, and, and like 200 something are at immediate immediate, risk. which means like now. And right. so what we know is we don't have a long uh, time frame to, figure to get this, this thing right. figured no, out. We don't. It's a very short window. And if we don't figure it out, on, and it's all based on the payer, um, so goes the community. When your local hospital closes, one only has to look at, at Albion, Michigan, to see what yeah. happens when a community mm-hmm. hospital closes. Yeah. Their health outcomes are worse. Absolutely. The college enrollment declines. You have business and industry that want to relocate into those areas. Yeah. And families are sicker. It's an in, integral part of a healthy community. That's right. You got to have a healthcare structure. Mm-hmm. You got to have right. a financial structure, a, a occupational structure That's for right. people to work. You have an educational structure. You have to have access it to good food and transportation. Yep. It's a foundational piece That's right. of a good community. That's right. And if we're not careful, we watched 
some of these other industries in the 2008 with the housing industry and in the financial markets. If we're not careful and the, these these smaller hospitals close, if you we've watched a lot of bigger systems start merging to kind of share costs. Mm-hmm. What's going to happen when some of those bigger systems start failing? Mm-hmm. It's over. Because the government Game can't, over. the government is not going to be able to Medicare and Medicaid no. services are not going to be able to step in and prop up no. what's going well, on. First it's of just all, we're Medicaid, too spread out. Medicaid doesn't even cover cost in most procedures. Right. And so, you know, Medicaid is not the answer. Right. Uh, we say Medicaid is better than no key, but at the end of the day, it, it covers a fraction. So when you have factory closures and your community starts suffering economically and that, that insurance shifts to Medicaid, that's a problem for, for rural communities it is. It because is. you cannot make any type of profitability to cover your expenses. Can't right. even meet your expense, right. expenses. You you can only do that for so long. I'll tell you. Mm-hmm. So that shift is not good. It's not good. And it, and, it, and it dominoes down the chain because I'll just do as an example of individual providers, right? I look mm-hmm. at ER doctors. Oftentimes they're like a higher gun coming in and they're like, well, well why should I try to refer this patient to somebody in-house? Why should I try to document better? Why should I do these things? I'm going to get paid my hourly rate or my hourly rate. Oh, yeah. oh, absolutely. I said, because if the hospital is not a sustainable it, entity, you have nothing. then where are you going to go? <laughs> yeah. And I'm talking to ER doctors specifically. I'm saying, you just came through COVID and you're still here. You know how scarce jobs were because there were no volumes. Yeah. Mm-hmm. It is not a gravy train. It is not always going to be the way we think it is because that's what it was in the past. No. Mm-hmm. Things are changing to changing. a degree now. And if we don't get some very unique, creative, innovative Agreed. solutions for the future, it's going to change into it's a scary. way we're not, we're not going to be happy with. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. So, Dr. Wells, from your perspective as the medical director of emergency medicine, if we have, you know, listeners today who are, uh, you know, administrators in rural hospitals across the country, what kind of advice um, would you give to them to how would you counsel other hospital administrators for the best way to engage with their emergency medical director and support the medical leadership Mm -hmm. for their emergency Mm -hmm. departments? Because that relationship is so critically important. Yeah. Mm-hmm. So I I would say, um, what do I feel? How do I feel supported? And what do I think administrations can do to support the emergency department? Yeah. Um, I think the emergency department is often the face. And like you said so eloquently, the window to a hospital, mm-hmm. because whether it's supposed to be the entrance into the healthcare system or not, it is. Mm-hmm. Most people make their initial entrance to the healthcare system through the emergency department. Mm-hmm. Yep. And the throughput from the ER to the floor or to surgery or to um, another different part of the healthcare system is very important and making sure that that flow is very streamlined and very efficient for the ER um, is a very important thing. And I, and I, I now that I got you on the podcast, I'll kind of yeah. say some of the stuff that yeah. I think, um, you know, one of the things that I've struggled with as a director um, is trying to improve the throughput. Um, there are always different barriers and gatekeepers and things of that matter. But the problem is that because the ER is so versatile and mm-hmm. usually very talented people work in the ER. Like you. Like, yeah, exactly. right. No, I wanted to say No, I mean, I, I know you were giving me but, a, the yeah. cue to say but, 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 right I'm, but I'm thinking of nursing staff. I'm thinking of our, yes. our, our nurse, our nursing directors, and they they adapt so quickly and so so mm. well to changing circumstances so that a lot more pressure is able to be applied on the emergency department because it can handle mm. it. Mm-hmm. But what that does is it prevents the ER from functioning efficiently yeah. the way it needs to yeah. be. Ah, so other, Because if you can just adapt, then it's hard to 
create standing processes and protocols that are the best option. Right. So what happens is you have other you have other services that can, for lack of a better word, dump on the ER because the ER can handle it. So so what you want to have is where the ER has a certain autonomy to control its own throughput Mm -hmm. so that it can move stuff through because the ER cannot control the inflow. Whatever's mm-hmm. coming in the door, mm-hmm. we have to take care of. We're we're legally right. mandated and Tala mm-hmm. to take care of whatever comes in my door. I'm I'm liable and responsible for every patient that comes in my door mm-hmm. while I'm working. Mm-hmm. Um, as the medical director, I'm responsible for every patient that comes through the door. Period. Every other service doesn't have that same mandate, mm-hmm. so they should be a part of that discussion to make sure that we are able to fulfill our mandate because it's better for their service, it's better for the hospital, and it's mm-hmm. most importantly, it's better for the patient. Patient, mm-hmm. absolutely. So, That's what is so important. So that would what I would want administrators to yeah. know. Well, you know, and and I think the the whole theme, you know, patient centered. What we're trying to do here is not create and sustain jobs for just us three in this room. Right. What we can get jobs. Relatively speaking, anywhere, there's a lot of openings. What we're talking about, though, is providing a place in rural America where transportation doesn't exist, public transportation, for them to have a resource and a location when minutes and seconds count that, you know, when they're having a stroke and a heart attack to drive 45 minutes, it's too late. Yeah, it's Mm -hmm. too late. Like you say, minutes. Provide that service right here. And and you can administer the TPA for a stroke patient. Mm -hmm. They wait 45 minutes, time is tissue. Yeah, that time is tissue. We, we are talking minutes about minutes or muscle. That's that, right. That's right. Mm. And so you know, providing that that you know at the basic level starts in the emergency department. It Absolutely. is the segue to all healthcare. It really is, and it's where you will give the referral to someone who's having a kidney stone to urology. It's where someone comes in, they have a an earache, you give them a referral to ENT, and if someone comes in, they have a a broken bone, you'll give them a referral to orthopedics. Agreed. It is truly that you are the gatekeepers for for rural healthcare, and I want to thank you for your contribution. Thank you. Um, not just here at Hillsdale, but just for the 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 spirit of emergency medicine, you know, and the practice of it, and what that means across this country uh, for quick access, and then the availability to find resources for those patients. How many patients have come into the ER that are homeless without food? And mm-hmm. we have found human resources, you That's know, right. and, and physical. Taking care of the world's ills one yes. patient at a time. Right. Well, we are. It's right. not just they come in with a, with Absolutely. a, a medical mm-hmm. need. They come in with all kinds Social of needs. needs. You get them hooked up with access. a pastor, Agreed. spiritual needs. And, yeah. It's the difference and, between treating a condition versus treating a person Absolutely. who has a condition. Absolutely. Yes. And you have to have more administrators and hospitals and doctors who think that way as yeah, opposed to being treating condition. But you, you mentioned a very good point about um, it kind of helps with how I think about some things. Um, when you come to the ER, we often talk about stabilization versus transporting to a yeah. higher level of care. So the ER is functional and it's foundational because when you come in with that broken bone, I'm going to get you set you're right gonna, now. I'm going to put you in the right splint, there. take care of it right For now. For that problem right then. Right now. But you still need issue. but you still need follow up. I'm right. going to fix the right. nosebleed right now. But you still need follow up. You need to investigate why it happened. That's How did right. you get to that point? That's not what the ER is designed to do. The That's ER right. is designed to deal with what's going on right now, fix this right now. But you still need other service lines downstream, That's right. uh, different specialists, different clinics to be able to take care of. How did you get here and where do we go from here? Right. The ER is just for the right now. It's like if you look at time, the past is your history and your memory. But mm-hmm. right now is the instant. We act in response. It's called emergency and disaster for a reason. We deal with the response. Right now, mm-hmm. but after that, you got recovery. 
you don't try to do the recovery in the ER. Don't try yeah, to do you're the, not the gonna, planning out stuff. That's not what we're there for. We're there to get you straight right now That's and right. then get you to the next That's person right. who's going to help you recover right. from where you are. So your local emergency department, so critical, so important. And uh, if you're listening to this podcast and you haven't thanked a healthcare hero, you need to do that. And it starts in the emergency department. Thank your local hospital and then use your local hospital uh, if you're listening today and uh, support those services and understand the critical role that emergency departments play in your community and in the greater care of our patients. So Dr. Wells, we could talk for hours, but unfortunately our time has escaped us today and we have to conclude our, our podcast. Well, but thank I you for thank having you for me today. Us. I really appreciate it. Absolutely. Thank you for joining us on Rural Health Rising. And before we close, we'd like to do a fun segment with each of our guests. And you you probably weren't prepped for this, were you? So no. we want to know, <laughs> what is not. your most unique rural experience or one of your favorite memories that is unique to rural life? Now, it could be a patient that you, you know, had to hitch their horse here to your car <laughs> uh, as they came in to, mm. to receive a patient. But what what is, you know, I know you're from the Detroit area originally, but you've been out here now with us rural about, folks. About two or three years yeah. now, yeah. So so what is, you know, what, what's what been that experience? Well, I think for me, probably the most unique is, you know, we have a large Amish community here, which mm-hmm. I, I love talking with them because they, you know, they think like I think, honestly, that, you know, they're, they're <laughs> no different than we are. But I think the first time I was driving down uh, 12 yeah. and I saw a horse and buggy <laughs> and that it wasn't like some kind of gimmick. It wasn't like a horse drawn carriage or no. something. Right. It was like literally that was the no, transportation. That was it. Right. That's how right. And then I had a previous doctor here that was yeah. like trying to get me to go cut ice. I'm like, what do you mean cut ice? Well, you know, for the, you know, so that we can store the food and stuff with the Amish. Yeah. We cut ice yes, off the off do. the lake. And I was like. What people are doing that? Yeah. Like that's where that's we are. That's the refrigeration, right? System. So, so those were some of the more interesting experiences I had. Mm-hmm. But it, it it taught me a lesson, though. It's because now you know I, I was born in the city, but yeah. I did a lot of camping and different things of that nature. But I always think about like you know what resources we have to yeah. work with. Yeah. That is the essence of living rural life. Yeah. You can it you is. can do whatever you need to yeah, do if you is. have enough yeah. ingenuity to that's do right. it. So. You sure can. So did 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 you cut the ice? I did not. All right. I did so not. So if he invites you to, I might go this year though if he invites you to tip the cows don't do it don't tip cows (laughs) Dr. Wells so great to have you with us today on the podcast look forward to you back again so thanks for joining us All right. next time on Rural Health Rising we'll have another great conversation with another great guest so be sure to tune in and with that don't forget to subscribe wherever you get your podcasts and if you like what you hear leave us a five star review on Apple Podcasts and tell others why they should listen too your feedback helps more listeners find Rural Health Rising and you can now find us on Twitter I'm at Hillsdale CEO JJ. Rachel is at Rural Health Rach. And you can also follow the podcast at Rural Health Pod. Until next time, stay safe, stay healthy, and stay strong. Rural Health Rising is a production of Hillsdale Hospital in Hillsdale, Michigan, and a proud member of the Health Podcast Network. Hosted by JJ Hodshire and Rachel Lott. Audio engineering and original music by Kenji Ulmer. For more episodes, interviews, and more information, visit ruralhealthrising.com.